Hey, uh, last week and this week, uh, we've been having this conversation uh, called uh, Just One. And uh, where we kind of began together last week was this idea that said, for you and I who have experienced Jesus Christ, I mean, who have been touched and just forever changed by this encounter, and to know what you and I now know, and to not go back, to, to not go to people in our lives and aunts and uncles and, and our neighbor and people around who haven't figured Jesus out yet, to know what you and I know and not go back and, and to at least share with one, it'd just be wrong to know what we know and not go back. And today, uh, we're kind of changing the conversation just a little bit to say, what would it mean? What, what, what would it be for you and I to simply say, no, 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 I'm going to be the one. I, I'm going to be the one who, who just says, look, I'm going to take the initiative. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the one in someone else's life who hasn't figured this out, who, who hasn't made this connection with God yet. I'm going to be the one that helps them get there. What, what would it be like if you and I chose to be the one? Okay, so ha- how many of you have ever had a moment in your life when you're hanging out uh, with some friends and somebody comes up with an idea that in the moment, in the moment when the idea came out, everybody's going, that is the coolest idea ever. And so you all join, you go and you do it. And then when that idea finally hits the light of day, you go, what were we thinking? How were we so stupid? How many of you have done that? Okay, so about five of us will understand this next moment in my life. I'm, uh, I'm 16, and uh, I, I'm taking up golf. And those of you in the room that golf, you, you know that golfing can be uh, expensive. And so my friend and I uh, were golfing at Tempe Rolling Hills, which is this little golf course up on the north uh, part of Tempe. And uh, we get to the third hole. And on the third hole, I take my swing and I hook it. Now, I never hook it, but I hook it, and my ball goes up, over, out of the fairway, over a fence, and lands in the Phoenix Zoo. <laughs> so I, uh, I walk up to the uh, appropriate uh, point of departure, and I begin to look through the fence, uh, and there's these cages. There's these huge cages that they've got these kind of like antelope animals in. Uh, and they've got these just like long, straight horns. And they're the ones that when you're uh, taking the tour of the zoo and, and you get to this pen, they say, okay, so if, when the animal turns sideways, both the horns line up. And, and so this may be where the idea of the unicorn uh, came from because long, straight, uh, spiky horns. And so I'm looking into this pen. There are thousands of golf balls. Apparently, I am not the only guy who ever hooked a ball into the Phoenix Zoo. And so my friend and I, we go on and we finish the hole, but the rest of the time that we're playing Tempe Rolling Hills, I'm saying, can you believe, can you believe how many thousands of golf balls were in uh, those pens? And finally my friend turns to me and says, dude, we need to sneak in and get those golf balls. To which I responded and said, that is genius. That is, what a cool idea. And so sure enough, uh, 2 o'clock uh, at the next night, morning, whatever, uh, we're getting ready to infiltrate uh, the Phoenix Zoo. 
And so we're thinking, well, you know, what, what are we going to do? I mean, how do you carry all these balls? And so we figured out who had the biggest golf bag, and we emptied all our golf clubs out. So we've got this just huge golf bag that we're taking in to fill up with balls. And then we begin to think, well, you know, what are you going to do? Like the animals, like, go crazy or come after us or stuff. And so we're trying to find a weapon. And uh, uh, we came up with a pool cue. So picture this. One of us is going to be filling up the bag with the other ones like this to fend the animals off, Okay. And uh, so sure enough, 2 o'clock in the morning, we get to the Phoenix Zoo. Uh, the fence, the fence is like 10 feet tall, and then it's got that V barbed wire thing at the top. And, and we make it over with this big old golf bag and our pool cue in hand, and we get into the uh, pen with all the animals, and we, we, one of us is filling up the bag. Now, here's the problem. The animals really didn't care that we were there. It was mating season. So the males are just chasing the females everywhere, and we're on the verge of getting trampled. And so one of us is phone, and the one's just trying to keep all the animals, just clear a path. Now, here's what we hadn't considered. A golf bag full of golf balls <laughs> is really heavy. And so now we're heading out of the zoo, and we got to go over that 10-foot fence with the V thing at the top. We got cut to shreds. We get back to my car, 1973 AMC Ambassador, former Highway Patrol car, and uh, got, to the ba got back, poured the golf bag full of, it filled up, like the whole back, you know, place where you put your thousands of golf balls. We go home, we sleep. We get up in the morning to go out and see our booty. They're yellow. Those, those antelope things, they had peed on the golf balls. And the pee had soaked in and baked in the sun. There was nothing you could do to recover those. We got like 10 balls out of the deal that you could actually play. I mean, because who's going to play with a peed golf ball, you know, on the thing? The story we're going to talk about today, so great, great idea turned out uh, really bad. Th this is going to be just the opposite. When, when, when you and I get to the story that we're going to talk about today, from the very beginning you go, that is a stupid idea. I don't need the light of day. I mean, that's just dumb from the beginning. Who, who would do that? And then it turns out great. It turns out beyond anybody's expectation. It turns out remarkable. And it's the story of four guys who simply say this. We're going to be the ones. We're, we're going to figure out how to get our friend to Jesus. And the plan they come up, I mean, the scheme, it, it's crazy. Who, no one would do what these guys are about to do. And yet it turns out remarkable. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles this morning, go with me. It's Mark chapter 2. If you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of Mark. It's part of what we call the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's the four books that tell the story of the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 2, we'll just start in verse 1 and we'll uh, go through their story. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered uh, there. There was no room left, not even outside the door. 
and he preached the word to them, uh, some came bringing to him a paralytic carried uh, by four of them. So get the moment. Here's Jesus. He's gone, gone back to his hometown. He's, he's getting famous by this point. People have heard that he's been healing. People have heard about the miracles. They've heard that his teaching is different than anybody else's teaching you've ever heard before. And so as he gets there, uh, he decides to hold a Bible study and, and someone opens up their house. Says, look, you don't have to stand out in the sun. You can come on in and, and just do the Bible study here. Well, no one expected, but now there's a crazy crowd. And so everybody is just packed into this house. I mean, it is shoulder to shoulder in this house. And so now it's spilled outside and people are gathering around and they've opened the windows and people are trying to lean in and hear. I mean, it's just an immense crowd. And in the midst of this, uh, there's four guys who say, man, we've got this friend and, and he's a paralytic. I mean, the guy is, the guy is paralyzed from the waist down and, and here's the deal. People who can walk can't get to Jesus right now. I mean, the crowd is just, if he's got any chance of getting to Jesus, if he got any chance of ever being he of he of healed, if, if there's any hope for him, then chances are we, we are his best chance of ever making it to Jesus. This is an interesting moment. Because <laughs> I guarantee you in your life, there are friends. There are co-workers. There's the aunt or uncle or cousin in your family. That, that if they have any chance of getting to Jesus, you're their best chance. If there's any hope that they're going to figure this out, any hope that they're going to get past whatever obstacles are in the way, and whatever uh, resistance, are, their best chance is you. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, grab me real quick and go with me over to the book of Matthew. It's going to be just a few pages to the left in your Bible because I think Jesus is talking about this very thing. It's Matthew chapter 5. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, here's the interesting part. When Jesus was here, he was the light of the world. But now that he's not here, you, me, we are the light of the world. And, and if the world is ever going to see this, if the world's ever going to come to a place of understanding this relationship with God, you and I are their best chance. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people take a light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Ready? In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So get, get the moment. Here's what Jesus says about this. He says, look, look, you're the light of the world. And just like with any light, you don't, you don't take your light and then cover it up. That'd be insane. That'd be crazy. No, what you do with a light is you figure out where can you place that light 
that gives the optimum exposure that as much of the room as possible is lit up by that light and then that's where you place that light strategically. And Jesus says, in the same way, I've placed you strategically. <laughs> I've placed you at your job. I've, I've placed you in the neighborhood that you live in. I placed you in the family that you're in. Because here's the deal. The best chance they have of ever figuring out me is you. We've, we've been uh, getting ready to do the series, and um, so I've been challenging you to invite someone, and so then I'm saying, okay, so, you know, what do I do about that? And I just got to be honest with you, uh, this is kind of hard for me. I'm a, I'm a pastor, which means I go to work every single day, and everybody who works around me is already a Christian. The janitor is already a Christian. I, uh, my son is 26, and I thought about enrolling him in soccer, but he kind of resisted, so <laughs> it's not like I'm, you know, hanging out with the sports teams, and I don't like any of my neighbors, so this is hard. <laughs> this is hard. And so I was saying, you know, who is it in my life, you know, it was interesting because as I was praying about this, thinking about this, God kept bringing to my heart my neighbor who lives across the street, and, and here's what I kept saying back, I've already talked to him. About a year ago, you know, we were spending some time, and I was just trying to figure out where he was spiritually, and, and I found out that him and uh, the gal that he's uh, with uh, are former Mormons and uh, living together, you know, across the street, but he was going to Central Christian, and so I, I'm not going to go invite somebody who's already involved in a great church, and so, and yet God just kept bothering me. And so, yesterday I'm out in my front yard and he's over there raking leaves and I, I went across the street and we just talked about, you know, manly stuff, like leaves. And, uh, <laughs> and in the process of that I just said, you know, hey, uh, you guys still going over to Central? And he goes, no, you know, we're, we, we haven't been back in a long time. We're, we're really not going much of anywhere. And then it occurred to me, I am probably his best chance to figure out Jesus. So I, I'm going to invite my neighbor to Easter. Let me ask you a question. Who is it in your life that God has placed you strategically and you are probably their best chance to ever figure out Jesus. I mean, if it's ever going to land, if, if they're ever you, you're probably their best chance. Let's go on with the passage. So back to Mark. Verse 4. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was on. Okay, look, that's dumb. I, 
That's the best you can come up with? I mean, that's the plan that we're, that's, that's, I mean, guys, think about this for a second, okay? Thatched roof, there's plenty of dirt and crud, and, and before you minimize this and go, oh, you know, and big, guys, think about if you were in your home and all of a sudden some guy's on the roof with a sawzall, <laughs> well, you're doing Bible study. I mean, this is a, this is a bad moment. This is, this is a dumb plan. But these guys, you ready for this? These guys are desperate. These guys are saying, look, whatever we have to do, whatever, to get our friend to Jesus. Because here's the deal. Jesus is the best hope our friend has. And so somewhere in the midst of, you know, you know, a hundred excuses. I guarantee you, when they, when they were carrying that stretcher and they got up there and saw the crowd, someone said, dude, okay, we're done. I mean, we gave it a shot, right? But we're not, we're never going to get close. Somebody goes, no, no, we'll go up on the roof, we'll like cut a hole. Somebody goes, I didn't even bring a ladder, man. What are you talking about? I guarantee you, I guarantee you. Someone's sitting there going, have you heard lawsuit? I mean, what's Jesus even in? Because here's the deal. You can't, you can't go through that roof and not interrupt the Bible study, right? I mean, just stuff. That Bible study is over the minute we start the plan. What's Jesus even going to think? I guarantee you there were a hundred excuses. Why not to do the plan? And these guys, these guys just go, look, I, I don't care, because here's, here's our answer. Our friend's best chance is that we get our friend to Jesus. Guys, this is a big deal for you and me, because I guarantee you that every time you've started across the street, every time you've been sitting at lunch break with your coworker and you thought about starting that conversation. Well, and even hanging out with the soccer moms and dads, and I guarantee you, your heart filled with a thousand excuses. I mean, this is private, right? I mean, this is, what if they're not ready? I mean, what, what, what if this just totally severs our relationship from here? I, And here's what you got to know. If you wait, if, if you wait till there are no excuses, you'll never get your friend to Jesus. You'll never be the one. Because there always, there will always be an excuse. And somewhere in your heart and my heart, you and I have got to get desperate enough that we're willing to push past. Whatever excuse that is, I've got in my heart. Now, I know, I know some of you are going, Lynn, this is just so weird and uncomfortable for me. Because here's the deal. I mean, I mean, isn't, isn't faith a personal thing? I mean, I mean, I've found Jesus, and I mean, I, this, is, this has done something, you know, huge. But, I mean, isn't this, isn't, isn't this you know, something that you, you let everybody kind of figure out on their own and whatever, you know, works for them, then you know, I, I get the thought. But here's the deal. You, you realize that answer doesn't work the second you believe that heaven is real. If, if heaven's a real place, that excuse doesn't work. If hell is a real place, 
than, than figuring it out on your own and being private about this thing no longer holds water. Because if at the end of the day, you ready for this? If at the end of the day that you and I believe that heaven and hell and where somebody spends eternity is determined by a decision that they make in this life about Jesus Christ, the moment you and I believe that, then this is no longer a private issue. This is an issue of desperation. Let me see if this helps. If you came up with a cure for cancer, I mean, you came up with, and it was simple. I mean, it was, it's one pill and done. And it is something that all the scientists had overlooked. It's something that everybody else had breezed past. And you figured it out. It works. It works. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I guarantee you this. You would blow past every bit of resistance. You would not care who did not understand or who did not appreciate if you knew that you had the answer to cure cancer. You'd go, look, I, I don't care if I upset the pharmaceutical companies. I don't care if they have lost rep. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care if the doctors are going to be hesitant to get this because they're going, look, that's, this is not what we've done. This is not what we learned in medical school. You wouldn't care. You just say, I, I have to tell this to people with cancer. The moment you and I believe that heaven and hell are a real place and that there's a decision to be made in this life that determines where we end up. Matter of fact, Scripture just simply says it this way. That whosoever believes in him, talking about Jesus, should have eternal life. And, and the simple answer is just this, that what someone decides about Jesus in this life makes all the difference about heaven and hell. Which means there's only one legitimate excuse why you and I wouldn't share this. And that's simply that you and I haven't come to Jesus yet ourselves. And so, because we haven't figured it out, we don't feel any urgency for our friends. But every one of us who have tasted that this is not religion and this is not ritual and this is a personal relationship with the Son of God that changes us forever ought to be desperate. So let me just ask you this question. When's the last time? When's the last time you were desperate for someone you knew to know your Jesus? When's the last time you just said, I, I, I will cut through any roof. I will do whatever I got to do. I got to get my friend to Jesus. When's the last time you were desperate? Back to the passage. When Jesus saw their faith, verse 5, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right answer. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go on home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I mean, think about the moment. I mean, this guy, this guy is forever changed. I mean, everything that his friends hoped would happen has just happened. And here's, here's the deal. Think about this. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that people came to him from that day forward and said, dude, now wait a minute, here's what we're hearing. We're hearing that you're, you used to be a paralytic, that you were paralyzed from the waist down, and that on, on this day you met Jesus and he healed you. What, what happened? And as this guy begins to tell his story, don't you know that every time he told it, it had to begin with these words, I had these four friends who were willing to do anything to get me to Jesus. How cool is that? Because let's just be honest, guys. If you and I think about our story, if we really just dial it down, every one of us had someone who was the one who cared enough to share, who, who decided no matter how far we got from God, they were going to pray, and it bugged us. I mean, we were like, you know, but we all have the one who was the one that did whatever they had to do to get us to Jesus. And how cool, how cool if someday that your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, as they tell their faith story, as they tell their friends who are standing there going, what happened to you? That that story has to begin with, I have a friend. who was willing to do anything to get me to Jesus. I was sitting at the picnic yesterday. I don't know if you know, we had a picnic where uh, uh, it was honoring people who serve here at Cornerstone. So we were out at Tumbleweed Park, and we were just all hanging out. And I'm sitting there at the table, and uh, this gentleman came up, and I met him one or two times before. And I just, you know, I, I just asked him, I said, you know, tell me your faith story. How did you come to Cornerstone? How did you figure out Jesus? How, uh, how did that happen? And uh, here's what he told me. He says, man, I was so far from God. He said, I, man, I was just, I was totally out of it. And uh, he actually, he was a he was Hispanic gentleman. And, he's, and he says, I used to think that uh, all Hispanics went to Catholic church. And all black people went to Baptist churches. And all white people went to boring churches. That's, and uh, <laughs> he said, so, and, and, and one day, uh, there, there was this family uh, that, went to Cornerstone and figured out Jesus. And the thing that was so remarkable is, is, is that they just couldn't stop. And so they told their friends about this place. And their friends came, and they figured out Jesus. And their friends are the ones that invited us. And he said, so then we came. And he said, I can't stop telling everybody about this place where you can figure out Jesus. What, what a cool story of a legacy of people saying, I'm going to be the one. My, my friend's best chance to figure this out is probably me. And here I am sitting at a picnic at the other end of the legacy. Got a video uh, 
today. I just wanted to show you for a minute, as you and I just consider in our lives, what would it be like if you and I decided to be the one? And it's a story about a, a gal who came here to Cornerstone, became a Christian, and in the midst of that, she figured out, you know what, uh, I've got a cousin and his wife, and chances are I'm their best chance to figure out Jesus. And so she invited him. She became the one for them. So here's the video. I had been church searching, trying to find a new place to go to church. I knew friends who were at Cornerstone and they loved it. And so I thought, well, I'm gonna go over there, let's give this a shot. Went, loved it, loved the music, loved the speaking by Pastor Lynn. Felt like it was very relatable to real life. So I knew my cousins were looking for a church home and realized that Jamie, growing up the way she did in a Catholic home, didn't really understand who or what Jesus was and that she really needed the message. And I felt like Lynn was a really good catalyst for her to hear that and understand it. I was raised Catholic, um, which meant that we went to church on Easter and Christmas and a few times in between. So I really had no idea of what it meant to go to a church. I married uh, a man who believed. We had tried a couple churches in our marriage. I never understood what the pastors were saying. I, I wasn't relating. I was writing my grocery list on the sermon notes. It just didn't make sense. I didn't, I didn't know who Jesus was at all. My husband's cousin, uh, she invited us to Cornerstone. Basically, it was simple as calling up and saying, hey, I've gone to this church. I think it's a really great fit. Maybe you guys would like it. You ought to come give it a try. And they did. Immediately, I walked in the doors and I, I just felt like that was where I was supposed to be. I felt like I was home. Lynn got up there and he spoke and I understood what he was saying. I left there, I, I wanted to learn more, and it was an almost immediate connection. I was going through a lot in my life right then, and God had just put me in a Bible study with people that I needed to get me through what I was going through at that time. And once I did that, I was hooked. From there, um, I started serving um, in the mom's ministry. After serving in a lot of different areas in women's, um, I was asked to take over and run a ministry. Most recently, I joined staff about seven or eight months ago, um, and I now I actually work for Cornerstone. You could absolutely see a difference of where Jamie was when I first met her, and the difference of searching to now just being confident in who she is and who she is in Jesus. I was just grateful for the ask from my cousin. Um, if she if she didn't ask, um, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be in a relationship with Jesus. I wouldn't be in a place that I absolutely love. It was the one ask um, that changed my life.